Welcome to Visa Navigate Samia, a Visa podcast that brings you the latest insights, perspectives, and trends that are defining the world of commerce and payments across Central and Eastern Europe, Middle East, and Africa, Samia for short. Before I introduce today's guests, allow me to share some of my thoughts relating to our topic, acceptance. I live in Singapore, and I enjoy a number of benefits of its digital economy. I frequently leave my wallet at home and use my phone to pay for everything in my daily life. It's fair to say I take it for granted, but the fact is not every market around the world has this same level of acceptance. I've recently had the chance to review the latest Visa Consulting and Analytics white paper, which explores the evolution of acceptance landscape and how digital payments benefits consumers, businesses, and economies. To discuss this further, I'm joined today by Walter Laroni, head of Visa Consulting and Analytics for Visa Samia, and Salvador Perez Galindo, head of government relations for Visa Samia. Welcome, gentlemen. So thank you very much for joining us. Um, Walter, could I start with you? Could you take us all the way back to the first payment cards for a moment and explain Visa's journey from back then? Thank you, David. It's, it's a pleasure to be here with you and Salvador. Yeah, payment cards have come a long way since the first example of store cards. These uh, dock tag style metal plates were used in the 1930s by department stores, with each store issuing their own store plates to their consumer. The idea of having a payment card that was accepted at the more than one location first gained popularity in the 50s. In 1958, Bank of America launched Bank America the first general-purpose consumer payment card. Bank America became Visa in 1976. Visa, a simple name that sounds the same in every language, identified by a blue and gold flag. Fast forward to 2001, Visa reached a big milestone, 1 billion issued cards. As we speak, 2023, we are close to 4 billion. Of course, card payments in the last few decades has evolved moving from taking cards physical in print to swiping, typing, waving, or using biometrics at payment terminal. The digital age has seen card holders being able first to leave their house without the wallet, then without the cards, as they can now rely on token technology to make payments via mobile devices. As a result, uh, payment card usage growth is expected to continue, and by 2025, 85% of POS and e-commerce payments are estimated to be made via card or digital and mobile wallet. Now, that really is an incredible journey and a lot of steps along the way. But uh, could you tell me, have you personally been among Payment Card's early adopters? I'd like to hear you know, your personal oh, experience. You make me feel younger now. Yes, I do remember. I started to use card in the 90s. And uh, I have a funny story to share, actually. I was... Uh, I was a consultant and I was in Rome on a taxi and uh, I had to pay. So I gave my card to the taxi driver. The taxi driver had those uh, card imprinting machine. So I gave the card and then I hear a strange noise. And the gentleman turns uh, to the back of the car and says, sorry, sir, your car just broke in two pieces. I don't know how often are you using it? I felt lost. I said, what do I do now without my card? I finally realized that I could still go to my ATM with my debit card and uh, withdraw some cash, but that was a really a real moment of uh, 
what I felt lost without my, my credit card. Well, uh, now, given that uh, experience, uh, I'd like to turn to Salvador and ask you, Salvador, um, you know, based on this traje trajectory of increased acceptance, how does it impact economic growth? And can you shed light on the key benefits it brings to economies from uh, your point of view? Sure, David, and uh, a pleasure sharing this panel with uh, Walter. Increasing acceptance, maturity, and the use of payment cards allows not only to have a, a more convenient way to buy and sell, but more importantly these days, to build a more resilient and a stronger economy in terms of uh, sustained economic growth, reduction of the shadow economy, and uh, improvements at the end of the day also for the state in terms of, of uh, revenues. The availability of a card-based electronic payment system is really a virtuous cycle whereby you increase consumption, you increase production, job creation, greater income, and as I said before, more sustainable public finances at the end of the day and benefits for citizens. Visa has empirically demonstrated this through a series of studies that we commissioned to Moody's. And the latest one is actually pre-COVID. It's the third one in a series of uh, very important empirical studies that we conducted, which confirmed that for a sample of 70 countries in the period between 2015 and 2019. And uh, the total uh, benefit that digital payments brought in those five years was qu quantified at 245 billion US dollar impact on real GDP. Now, that is an aggregate number that probably doesn't say much, but if we double click and we look at a specific country like Greece, which was emerging from a very bad economic crisis, a banking crisis, Greece was the country that benefited the most in this Morris study in terms of using a card usage as a means to propel the economic recovery, reduce the shadow economy and increase the, re the revenue for the state. Exactly what I was saying before. In those five years, uh, it had a gain of 31 basis points in total GDP growth during that five year period. Now, in terms of uh, what has to happen to really have an economy benefiting from this virtual cycle, there's plenty to be done. And in this paper, we emphasize how important it is to build the acceptance infrastructure for digital payments to take place. Just, I would like to add a, a few uh, proof points on, on, on the work that has to happen. Currently, still about 25% of the population do not have access to financial services, starting with, with payments. This is close to 2 billion people. According to our own estimates in our region, in Senia region, we have 60 million merchants that do not accept digital payments. So part of the challenge is bringing those micro and small businesses from the informality to the real uh, uh, formal economy. And that's uh, part of the virtual cycle that I was mentioning before. Okay, thank you. Um, Walter, can you briefly explain the acceptance development life cycle and you know, what you mean by that and how how can we improve acceptance maturity? Oh, thank you, David. Uh, 
Well, markets in general are very different, right? Uh, in the way they evolve their acceptance and maturity. However, we at Visa, we have studied many of those markets and we have identified a, a so-called general pattern that we call the acceptance development lifecycle. What does it mean? Right. So first, in a market, consumers are introduced to the idea of card payments when they first use a card to access cash at ATM. That's a step one in the, in the life cycle. From this starting point, acceptance gradually develops over time with a number of acceptance points steadily increasing across a market and multiple merchant segments. The initial focus is on travel and entertainment purchases, right? This will benefit also the travel, the tourists coming into that specific market. And this progressively moves towards everyday spending. This expansion usually sparks a corresponding rise in the volume of electronic payments in those merchant segments. And as acceptance matures, Current payment gradually become the nearly ubiquitous first choice payment option. What, what is important to notice is that to uh, foster an acceleration of acceptance and maturity, it is crucial to work on both sides of the payment ecosystem. The issuing side, we need to make sure that current value propositions are relevant to different consumers. We need to make sure we have rewards, we have instant issuance plus options. We need to have tokenization, right? Tokenization of credentials to enable a digital payment. At the same time, we need we need the ecosystem as to work on the acceptance side, on the acquiring side, where new technologies need to be available for both online purchases as well as face-to-face -face, uh, purchases. And uh, on both experiences, we need to have stronger security protocols in place to protect consumers and merchants from frauds. Now, uh, just a moment ago, Salvador mentioned um, that there's 60 million SAMIA merchants who still do not accept digital payments. What affordable and innovative solutions are in store for them, you know, SMBs in particular? Yeah, that's a big problem in our region and more broadly uh, is a global priority for, for Visa. So as Visa, we continue to accelerate acceptance growth by enabling new types of merchants and distributors by focusing on developing low-cost, turnkey, and easy-to-implement solutions for all merchant segments and use cases. To mention a few, we target utilities, quick service restaurants, governments, education, transit, just to mention some of our priority segments. But let me give you a couple of concrete examples. For example, for in-store purchases, uh, tap to phone tap to phone empowers millions of micro-merchants to start accepting digital payments through a simple app on their mobile phone or tablet avoiding the cost of uh, expensive U.S. machines. In Simia, we have already launched the solution and we are live in 23 markets. Up to phone can be enabled either through a third-party solution provider that are certified by Visa or also through Visa Acceptance Cloud. Visa Acceptance Clouds open the door to acquirers and PSPs to offer low-cost acceptance to the small business segment. In the future, this will also enable acceptance on devices other than the typical phones or tablets. For online acceptance, Merchant in a Box. This is another great solution for small business. It allows small business to increase its reach and start selling online. The solution includes onboarding, storefront setup, integration into social media pages, payment acceptance, inventory management, order and delivery management, sales dashboard. These are just a few examples of innovation. Much more is happening also behind the scene 
with investment in artificial intelligence and machine learning to ensure that each transaction is real-time scored to maximize approval rates and avoid frauds. Okay, so there really are a lot of things um, out there available to help businesses of all sizes, including the small and, and micro businesses. Salvador, while digital technologies are offering these innovative solutions for cash displacement, policy and regulation remain critical in expanding and advancing digital payments landscape. Can you share more on their role? Sure, uh, David. The biggest impact that we can see is when government uh, steps in and creates public policies that encourage acceptance acceleration through uh, partnerships and closer collaboration with the industry. I think that the framework, if we think of the ideal framework, is where this enabling public policy and, and regulatory framework includes three key aspects. The first one is ensuring there is access for digital payments, and particularly on, on the acceptance infrastructure, the government can play an important role in terms of, uh, for instance, first uh, boosting investment in, in POS. And some governments have done that by providing a tax incentive to, to, to the banks to do it by targeting segments where that investment has, has to go, by also bringing, for instance, uh, an interoperable QR code regulation that signals that all players in the market can invest and develop QR codes to go acceptance. The secondly is really uh, being a role model for the rest of the economy. And this can be very focused on acceptance and it has a broad range of uh, policies or tools. To name a few, the government can start by uh, accepting, obviously, digital payments for all the services that uh, they offer to citizens and businesses, ensure that all the e-government portals have digital payment acceptance, that in the cities, taxis, urban transportation, parking, fines are all enabled for uh, digital payment acceptance. And in some cases, also bring mandates so that certain segments in the industry, in the, in the economy, uh, have to have digital payment acceptance. They can also define that in terms of the size of annual revenues above a certain threshold. Uh, you as a business are expected to accept digital payments. And the third one, and, and, and by no means the, the least important, is also by improving financial education, financial uh, literacy and digital access for the population. These are all basic infrastructure uh, needs that we face from the industry and, and where the government can support. So there are different tools and flavors. What are some of the best and brightest uh, real world examples that you've seen in the Samir region of governments and policies, you know, rolling out some of these incentives? Is there anything you can share with us? Sure. And uh, this framework has been applied in many parts of the world, not only in Semia. I was mentioning Greece before. It had the component, the three components that I was mentioning before. But if I had to bring it closer to uh, our region, probably Saudi Arabia is the best example because they developed the right mix of policies 
around infrastructure access and usage to rapidly accelerate that acceptance maturity. For instance, this was from the very beginning part of Vision 2030 as part of the strategic framework of the country to uh, improve and diversify its economy and, 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 and reduce dependency on oil. Saudi Arabia moved very fast in digital payments in the last five years. And in terms of infrastructure, the central bank gave very clear guidance to the acquirers, to the banks, where to invest, what they had to do to really expand the services for all the merchants. But outside of the central bank, the Ministry of Commerce and Investment also established mandates on a segment by segment basis with very specific timeframes. So starting with fuel stations, all fuel stations had to accept digital payments uh, starting July 2018. Then uh, car repairs, because that was a segment where there was a lot of informality. A year later, all car repairs have to accept digital payments. Then at the end, small groceries a few months later. So uh, in a few years, Saudi Arabia moved very fast in terms of building that acceptance. Today, contactless in Saudi Arabia is among the highest in the world, and they moved from 4% of total face-to-face transactions back in 2017 to close to 98% these days. So that's probably one of the most comprehensive, holistic examples. If we move to other countries, I could mention another initiative in Serbia where through a public-private partnership, Visa is um, supporting to expand the total POS terminals in the country by 20%, with a very specific focus on micro small businesses, which remain in the informality, to really um, move faster in, in Serbia and together with other policy enablements, measurements from the national government. Have you seen any examples of what not to do? Um, you know, maybe any lessons learned that uh, you could share with us? Thank you for bringing that perspective, David, because yes, there, there's plenty of evidence what works, what probably is not as effective. And a big temptation from governments and regulators in particular is to think that there's a silver bullet and probably just simply by uh, touching prices, whether it's interchange rates, merchant discount rates, bring it down very uh, rapidly, that that in itself will lead to more acceptance. Unfortunately, we have many cases where these actions have taken place, drastic pricing caps and regulations, and that doesn't work. Unfortunately, that doesn't help build the incentive, the business case for more players to really invest and grow in acceptance. So that's uh, an important area that we always caution regulators to avoid finding uh, a, a silver bullet in price reduction in the absence of more powerful and more holistic uh, set of policies like the ones I mentioned before. Okay, that's great. It's good to have a few examples of what not to do. Um, Now, I'd like to move back to to Walter and ask you, um, Walter, how can Visa Consulting and Analytics help uh, in this uh, environment? Yeah, thank you, David. Uh, I think as Visa Consulting and Analytics, we are well equipped to create value for different stakeholders in, in the ecosystem. We are a team of uh, several hundreds of payment consultants, data scientists, data engineers, and economists that work across the globe. 
we leverage our deep payment consulting expertise, our economic intelligence, and our breadth of data capabilities and solutions to identify actionable insights and recommendations to drive better business decisions for any organization. We work with the different stakeholders in the payment ecosystem. We work, for example, with, with Salvador team. We work with many governments around the region. We work a lot with the issuers, of course, but we have started to work more and more also on the acceptance side with the acquirers and with sellers. Let me share some example of what we are doing on the acceptance side. So with acquirers, for example, as you know, acquirers across the region and beyond are going through very hard time, right? Their value chain is being disintermediated by multiple stakeholders. So different acquirers are trying to find ways to scale up their own presence and to differentiate their business to increase their profitability. We are working with them on many areas. For example, we are working on business expansion strategy, new market entrance, new operating model redesign to adjust to the different to the new competitive landscape. We are helping them in developing new merchant value proposition to develop digital onboarding experiences for their own merchants, to develop value-added services, as well as to develop ways to leverage new technologies such as APIs, biometrics, and IoTs. We are working a lot in helping them understanding their performance improvement opportunity, including payment optimization and profitability analysis. And last but not least, we are doing a lot of work on risk and fraud management and helping them uh, optimizing their merchant and their writing policies. We're doing also a lot of work with, with the seller side of the ecosystem. Right? There, our work is mainly focused on increasing their reach and accelerate their revenue growth. For example, we do a lot of work with our co-brand partners. We work on their value proposition, on ways for them to, to accelerate co-brand card growth. But more broadly, looking at the different sellers, we, we leverage our proprietary and client data to optimize our, the, I would say, the client segmentation strategies, how our, our clients target in an effective way new segment of consumers, how we can help them optimize their campaign management effectiveness. And we do this, by the way, not only as a visa consulting analytics, but we do this also partnering with the visa marketing team. We have a big client marketing team helping our, our merchant client uh, together with us. Then we also assess, optimize, and develop loyalty programs and solutions for our uh, merchant client. We help them optimizing their customer digital onboarding and the overall digital experience of their own consumer on their own sites. And of course, we work a lot with them on the payment optimization part as well. And let me give you just one example of... Uh, of a recent engagement, uh, we work with uh, a major marketplace in our region on the authorization optimization uh, project. And basically, in three months, we were able to increase approval, ra approval rates by 22%. And we did also a similar work for an, a major airline in the region. We were also able to increase by 3% the, the approval rate. So this Improvement rate has a lot of meaning, right? This means more revenue for the merchant, and this means a better consumer experience for the person that sees this transaction going through. So I believe uh, these are good examples of the type of work we are doing with the different stakeholders. 
Very good. Well, there certainly is a lot to learn about acceptance, and it's really interesting to hear everything you've said and to see the uh, impact that it has on economies around the region and merchants and consumers. So thank you both uh, for joining us today. I really appreciate it. And uh, yes, thank you for the discussion. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Visa Navigate Samia podcast. We'll be back soon with yet another exciting episode. Until then, don't forget to follow the show and tell us what you think by leaving us a rating or your comments. You can also subscribe to our newsletter by visiting navigate.visa.com forward slash Samia.